Friends, welcome to episode 62 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. It is great to have you here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing, by the way. What's that? You haven't subscribed yet? Oh, you must. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, just search for Syracuse.com podcasts. Hit that subscribe button. Then with a new version of this podcast, the Syracuse Football Podcast with Stephen Bailey, our Buffalo Bills podcast, with Matt Perino, our Buffalo Bills beat reporter, the best way to get it is to subscribe. Ben Burroughs is going to hang with me today. For those of you that don't know Ben, might be an introduction. He works for us here at Syracuse.com in a number of things, including on our Syracuse Orange basketball coverage. Ben does a lot of behind-the-scenes things, but writes some terrific things numbers-wise. And Ben knows basketball. Ben and I talk hoops in the office all the time, and I figured, you know what? Let's bring it to the podcast. I think you'll enjoy Ben's perspective and his opinions on the Orange. We will get to that coming up, but I do want to start with a little hockey today. The Syracuse Crunch have passed the midway point of their 2019-20 season, and I think it's time for Tampa Bay to put up or shut up. We hear from Syracuse owner Howard Dolgan all the time about the great relationship that the Crunch and Tampa Bay have, and that is true. Tampa Bay has brought a number of prospects through Syracuse that you can now see in the National Hockey League. They have brought three division titles to Syracuse in the seven-year relationship between the two teams. I'm not doubting the affiliation. I'm not doubting the relationship between Dolgan, Julian Breezebois, the general manager of Tampa Bay, and Lightning ownership. But this is a crunch team that can do some damage. But it's also a crunch team that's got some major holes in it. So crossing the midway point, the Crunch are 18, 17, 2, and 2. There is a big trend here that this team has got to address, and that is the lack of defense, and that is the lack of goaltending. Now, to be fair, starting goaltender Scott Wedgwood has been injured and will return soon. The captain of the team and a veteran blue liner that the Crunch really need out there, Luke Witkowski, is hurt for this team right now. But this is a team that's given up 22 goals in its last four games. This is a team that's blowing late leads, that's letting teams come back on them, The counter to that is, in the month of January, the Crunch have averaged just about five goals per game. Their season average is 3.42 goals per game. That's good for fifth in the American Hockey League. Alex Barry Boulay is an American Hockey League All-Star. The Crunch have two of the top 20 scoring defensemen in the American Hockey League, believe it or not, considering the defensive issues we're discussing here, and Cameron Gauntz and Cal Foote. But this team needs more stoppers than scorers at this point. The NHL trade deadline is about a month away, February 24th, and I can't get a read right now on whether Breezebaugh is going to be a buyer or a seller for Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is not what they were a year ago, the best team in the National Hockey League by a mile in the regular season, but they're one of the best teams in the National Hockey League once again. What does Tampa Bay feel they need, and how will that affect Syracuse, and will they take some of the best pieces that Syracuse has and trade them away. Look, that's always the weight that's tied to your ankle when you're an American Hockey League team. What the parent club wants is what the parent club gets. While it would be good for the Syracuse team to make a deep run in the playoffs, to train a lot of these younger and second-year players who are really starting to come into their own, the priority is up top. Starting Wednesday night, the Crunch play seven games in 11 days. They lost that game on Wednesday night, 5-4. to four. Goaltending has certainly been an issue. Spencer Martin is just not hacking it for the Crunch. He ranks 43rd in the American Hockey League with a 3.12 goals against average, and Mike Condon hasn't shown anything that he can stick in the goalie rotation. So they need Wedgwood back, and they need Witkowski back, but they also have to cut back on the penalties. 
Just look at the last two games alone. Syracuse has given up 18 power play opportunities, 11 on Sunday and 7 on Wednesday night. So the good news is the crunch have time to address this. They're only halfway through the season, but we mentioned how competitive the North Division is. And if the crunch are going to keep pace, they need to get healthy, they need to find some defense, they need to find some goaltending, and they need to cut out the ridiculous penalties. I like Ben Grew. I think Ben Grew is going to coach in the National Hockey League one day. What we see here over the next couple of months could really prove his mettle as a head coach. Can he take this talented group, shore up his defense, goaltending, and discipline, and make another playoff run? Or will the crunch simply collapse under the weight of the team sitting on top of it in the North Division? After last year's highly disappointing playoff exit by both Tampa Bay and Syracuse to the Columbus Blue Jackets and their AHL affiliate in Cleveland, let's just hope that second option isn't on the table when we circle back on the crunch at the end of the season. Let's talk some hoops. My main man, Ben Burrows from Syracuse.com, joins me now here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. The one, the only, Ben Burrows. Now, I know <laughs> Ben Burrows, and I thought, you know, Ben and I annoy our coworkers here at Syracuse.com all the time, chatting Syracuse basketball, so we thought we, we would bring it here to the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And so for those that don't know, Ben, tell us about you, what you do at Syracuse.com, and, and, and say hello to podcast land. Right. Well, uh, thanks for the introduction, Brent. We definitely, I'm sure, do make people upset because it, it really doesn't stop. Uh, I always try to set, up, set aside 15 or 20 minutes to, to burn with you and talk basketball and, and football. I should mention, too, um, when we do our live chat on Facebook, Ben's kind of my... My partner in arms, so to say, behind the <laughs> scenes, watching the people, making sure things don't get too crazy. We're always kind yep. of in communication about, you know, what Jim Beheim's saying at his press conference and, and kind of making that magic happen, too. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I help out on the back end with stuff during game days. Um, right now for basketball, I'm providing all of the incredible live updates, the, the play-by-play during games that... You guys are are flipping between reading that and yelling at Brent in the comments, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I, I I try to split my time covering some hoops, covering some football. Uh, right now, not a ton of football stuff going on, other than major coaching changes. Um, so I'm I'm excited to to stick with hoops for a little bit. Doing some recruiting too, right? Yes, where you can. Yep, some recruiting. Uh, we should have some some more football recruiting coming up soon. Uh, hopefully have a little bit of something on just about all all the all the recruits from this upcoming cycle and uh, some got a Syracuse visit coming up for for basketball soon um, Patrick Tape I think from Columbia could be a big get for them so that's interesting because you you're on recruiting but it seems like they've hit the transfer market a little bit here too so yes and that traditionally was something Jim Beheim hated to do. Mm-hmm. But look, we've seen it in recent years with players that have transferred into Syracuse. So, I mean, you have Wes Johnson, Elijah Hughes, a mm-hmm. number of guys that they're here. Mike Benajay. Mike Benajay is another great example. Mm-hmm. So Jim has certainly been more willing to go down that road because it's just easier today with you know right. the transfer rules and how they've been lightened in college basketball. So why not go after those guys? Right. I, I agree. I think, too, Jim and the Syracuse staff has sort of had to evolve – specifically in recent years because you've had so many one-and-done guys. How do you replace a Tyler Ennis? How do you replace an O'Shea Brissett that only is here for two years? Um, you know, How do you replace a Malachi Richardson or a Chris McCullough, guys that we expected to be high-level players that ended up only being here for a year? 
um, or two in some cases, I think they have to try to fill those those spots somehow. Um, and especially on offense, I think some of these guys are a little more polished. And typically Syracuse recruits, especially with bigs, guys that are a little more raw. So if you can get somebody off the recruiting market or uh, the transfer market, rather, that is a little more polished, I think that's a huge gift for Syracuse. And you brought up a good point, Ben. It's not just the one-and-done era. It's players you think would be around two or three years right. and end up leaving a lot earlier than you mm-hmm. would think. You know, Last year was a great example of that. I think Jim Beheim was counting on O'Shea Brissett for two years. Absolutely. Knew the talent, knew what he was capable of, but he kind of surprised some people. And guys that have just come along, you get that. I think Tyler Ennis is a perfect example. He just mm-hmm. hit... When the iron was hot, it was a weak draft year. He got up in some first-round projections, and mm-hmm. frankly, it'd be stupid not to jump on that opportunity. So the yeah. the, the recruiting and the transfer market is a constant thing right now. So do you think any of these transfers are in mind with potentially Elijah Hughes taking off earlier than expected? He's starting to rise up some draft boards. Right. So Elijah is an interesting case. Um, I'm not sure that he is an NBA draft pick right now. I personally am super high on Elijah. I think he's a pro. I think he plays at the next level. Whether or not he immediately goes in the draft is sort of tough because teams are going to look at, he was a transfer, he sat out a year, Elijah's 21-22. They're going to look at him as, this is sort of the player that you're getting. They're not going to look at it as a potential type thing. But Elijah, as far as I know, is on track to graduate. And so because of the redshirt season, so why would he potentially come back for another year? If we think after this season, which he's been great for the Orange, why would he come back? His stock is potentially going to be the highest that it's ever going to be. He's going to tack on another another year that teams are going to look at as he's older, less potential, one fewer year of control contract-wise for us. Why would he come back? Same thing with the exact same situation with Tyus Battle last year. Um, if you graduate, I'm not I'm not sure that there's a, a ton of reason to come back. So a guy like Seth Towns, who is six foot seven, uh, sort of a wing player for Harvard, he could potentially be uh, a fit for Syracuse. Um, he's on the transfer market. Patrick Tapay from Columbia could potentially uh, be a target. I wrote about him today. He set a visit for Syracuse basketball on February 28th, which is the day right before the game against North Carolina. Syracuse has really struggled at the center position, and to pay for all intents and purposes, even if it, even if it's against the Ivy League, has looked pretty good. Um, you know, I, I think he could be a fit too. Ben, one thing that you do on the site that I really enjoy is is you dive into the numbers. And before each game, you give us five numbers that we need to know about mm-hmm. each upcoming game. So as you've been doing that, what do the numbers tell us about the <laughs> Syracuse basketball team? What are the things that you see patterns in that, that really uh-huh. stand out so far? Well, I think the encouraging thing for Orange fans is that this is one of the best shooting teams that they've ever had. I think a lot of people, myself included, looked at the departures of Frank Howard, Tyus Battle, O'Shea Brissett, uh, Pascal Chukwu is still a loss. A lot of people looked at that and thought that they would take a huge step back offensively. And it turns out that adding Joe Girard and Elijah Hughes really coming in into the fold, Buddy Bayheim taking a big step, their offense has gotten a lot better over last year. A lot less, well, not a lot less isolation, but there's a lot more 
assists going on. They're a great shooting team. I think the defense is probably a little bit better than Jim Beheim gives it credit for based on some of his press conferences. Um, but I think there's a lot to be encouraged about. Um, on the defensive end, you'd like to see them not allowing so many threes, even though teams aren't shooting great against them. Uh, eventually, a team's going to get hot. A team like Virginia Tech, that they're going on the road to Blacksburg on Saturday, they're one of the best shooting teams in the country, and I think the zone inherently forces more three-pointers, but if you're going up against a team like the Hokies, they might come out and shoot 45% from three, and all of a sudden you get buried. You go back to that first game Syracuse had, what, that nine-point lead, but uh-huh. that's the difference between a team like Virginia Tech and a team like Boston College, Yes, who they played earlier in this week. They're not going to shoot their way out of it. We saw how bad Boston <laughs> oh. College shot in that game. Oh, boy, yeah. But Virginia Tech, if especially on the road, and Syracuse has been good on the road in uh-huh. ACC play so far, but that's the kind of team that – you know, you're really tested for 40 minutes, whereas Boston College only went on a late spurt, and by then it was garbage yeah. time, and it didn't matter at all. One number I've really been encouraged by for such a young team, and I understand that now you're in the thick of ACC play, and you know the old cliche that coaches say is freshmen become sophomores and sophomores right. become juniors, and it's true. Like you, you got to flip the page at some point, but for a young team in general to have the assist-to-turnover ratio that they do is really impressive. You would think the turnovers would be spiked, and I know they had 15 against Boston College the uh-huh. other night, but by and large, you look at the stat sheet after the game, you're like, huh, this is they're not turning the ball over as much as you would think. And I think right. that's a credit to how Joe Girard is, is really adjusting to the college game. Yeah, I think Joe, and I, I wrote about this basically right after he took over in the starting lineup for Jalen Carey, that he has sort of transformed this offense. He's a better passer. He's a much better shooter. I think he sort of creates with his shooting ability this gravity that pulls players away from guys like Buddy Bayheim and Elijah Hughes and sort of helps create this space that Jalen couldn't produce. And then in general, Buddy's a better passer. I think Elijah is a great passer. Merrick Dolajai is a great passer. And I was actually skeptical of this number for a really long time. When they got up to like number three in the country, I started thinking, I wonder if Syracuse's assist rate is bloated because they can't create their own offense. It's guys like Buddy Beheim who over 90% of his threes are assisted. So maybe these guys can't create their own offense, and so they're making it happen with assists. And I thought maybe that's not a good thing. Well, I dug into the numbers, and I haven't written about this yet, but I know Donna DeTota did a little bit, and... It looks like it's okay. You know, I, I looked at offensive rating as far as Ken Palm, and there's a bunch of teams that are some of the best offensive rated teams in the country that have super high assist rates. Um, there's some teams mixed in there that aren't quite that, that might have that problem as far as isolation and, and not being able to, to make plays, but I don't think Syracuse has that problem. I was skeptical for a while, but I, I think it's legitimately a really good thing, and I, I think it's incredibly encouraging for this team. To see Joe step in, and you mentioned that you've written about him and certainly have been watching him this year, his assist-to-turnover ratio is great. We know how good of a free-throw shooter is. Mm-hmm. He's literally the best free-throw shooter in the country because free-throws matter, kids. This <laughs> warms my heart. The other yeah. day, Syracuse went 12-12 at the free-throw line. First yep. time since 1997 that they made all their free-throws mm-hmm. in a game. My dream has come true. It matters. 
And Joe is not your typical freshman. I mean, this guy played right. a ton of basketball when he was at Glens Falls from eighth grade on, played in these huge games. We know the numbers. Like, you, you look at your mm-hmm. Syracuse basketball bingo card, and you know yeah. that inevitably the broadcast was going to be like, the all-time leading scorer in New York State history and Glens Falls, New York, and, like, all the things. that It's like an easy bingo with Joe. Mm-hmm. How many times does Lance Stevenson get thrown into there? Who would He's ever thought? this. Yeah. I don't even know where he is these days, and they've I, talked about him so much. No clue. Where is Lance? No clue. Where are you, buddy? Come on the podcast. We'll catch <laughs> up with you. We can talk Joe Gerard. But I'm just so impressed with this kid, how mm-hmm. he gets a shot off, dribbling through traffic. There's some inefficiency in the zone just by size, but I think mm-hmm. he makes up for it as best as he can by knowing where to be in the zone, by right. hustling, by having to move quicker. And there's going to be teams they face. Virginia Tech might be one of them, as you mentioned, where right. that's where it really shows up. But by and large, for Gerard to come in and take over as quickly as he did, it was kind of a Jalen Carey got tossed aside, and then, of course, it turned out he was hurt. But mm-hmm. you can't help but be impressed by what Joe Gerard has done. And we'll see what happens going forward. But to this point, pretty damn good. Yeah, I, I don't think you can you can really argue against it. I think he's even gotten better, and the Orange have gotten better as he's gotten more aggressive, too. I wrote about this uh, this past week Um for Boston College, that I think he only he didn't take very many shots against the Eagles, but the previous seven games he was taking about five more shots per game than he was for the the first nine games of the season, and Syracuse's shooting from three really spiked. Uh, Elijah Hughes, Buddy Bayheim were getting more shots. Um, the the number of points that Syracuse was scoring went up from like seventy two to seventy four a game. And I think his aggressiveness has really helped that. I think teams, even if he's not shooting a really great percentage, the fact that you're worried about going under screens against him because he's just going to pull right over the top, which I think he should be doing every time. I'm a firm believer that Buddy Beheim, Elijah Hughes, Joe Girard, if teams go under screens, pull. I don't care if it's 26 feet. They go under the screen, pull, because that's going to be a great shot for you. You don't have a ton on offense right now, but those three guys can hit from anywhere. But Joe has shown a lot more aggression, and it's helped everybody else. In that seven-game stretch, their three-point shooting went from like 34% to 39%. He's helping other guys get shots, even if he's not making them his own. The added aggression is definitely helping. Now, staying in the backcourt, because we're seeing the opposite with Buddy. Now, Boston College didn't exactly have twin <laughs> towers inside. So, yeah. But yeah. that's it, Ben. When the opportunity is there, take it inside. Fake. Show that you can right. make that shot. But he's 6'6". He's got size. Yeah. And it's one of the most obvious things right in front of your face. And you're watching games. You're like, buddy, you're not Joe. You're not six feet. You can get in there and mm-hmm. take on these players. So so when that opportunity is there, you got to cash in on it. And it's uh-huh. only going to help Syracuse going forward for obvious reasons. Teams are pushing out in the three. They're mm-hmm. going to really focus in on Joe, Buddy, and Elijah. Better defensive teams that Syracuse is going to face in the heart of ACC play are going to make Buddy earn that three-point shot. So mm-hmm. if they can respect that he can take it inside and make defenses scramble a little bit, all the better. Right. I think Buddy Beheim's ability to put the ball on the floor, he's doing this little move where he goes around a screen at the top of the key and sort of hits this like 18-foot jumper. He's added that to his game. We saw yes, uh, against Boston College on Wednesday. He's taking the ball inside. He got some transition layups. He got a couple times where somebody gets hedged, and he gets a little bit of space, and he goes all the way to the rim. 
I think those things are what take Buddy from being just a sharpshooter to being an all-around good offensive player. Um, I think I'd like to see him from here on out. Maybe he can add a little bit of post stuff. He's six foot six. Realistically, outside of the most elite players in the ACC, how often do we see six foot six shooting guards in college basketball? Those size players that are really good are the NBA level prospects. So I think when he gets a six foot two shooting guard on him, go post that guy up on the block. Let's see what you can do. I'd like to see him add that to his game. Um, one thing that I saw that's interesting, and I'd like to see them do this a little more, like Elijah just pulls over top of guys all the time because he's six foot six. Buddy started doing that too. He's actually shooting. Uh, I looked up his synergy numbers, and he's shooting better on catch and shoots when he's guarded than when he's unguarded. Mm. And when you're six foot six and you're talking about elevating, if the defender's only six foot two, you're open. You know, you're going right. to elevate. You're going to you're going to create that distance. It's really not a bad shot, and I'd like to see him be a little more aggressive with that. But let's get to the heart of the matter here, Ben. He's only playing because he's the coach's son, right? Absolutely. I mean, one hundred percent. That's the <laughs> Absolutely. only reason he's out there. You know, it's, he he wouldn't start at Yale. <laughs> he or wasn't Colgate, the, for that yeah. matter, with his own brother. No, he's not even the better brother. Ben and I are joking because <laughs> it's inevitable at some point during the live chat that mm-hmm. that's going to come up. It's bad. He's only playing because he's the coach's son, Brett. That's how it goes. <laughs> the other night, I'm pointing out in our live chat that Buddy Beheim is outscoring Boston College. And I'm not uh-huh. talking about like two minutes into the game. I'm talking about in the second half of the basketball game. And inevitably, I get the brown nosing comment. Yeah, nah, you're brown nosing. Just yep. the coach's son. I love our chat. It's it, it's an adventure. Don't you like hanging out in these chats now and just you now you know where Pray for Brent comes from. It, you, you you see it with your own eyes. I, I really do. It it gets so bad. And I will say that. I would like to take credit for Buddy and his game against Boston College because against Virginia, I trashed him on Twitter during the game. <laughs> I said at one point that there is no excuse for Buddy Bayheim to be playing right now. And it was because he wasn't shooting the ball well and you know he still needs to get better at rebounding and facilitating ball movement and stuff like Defense, that. And, yeah. and those are all valid complaints, and I, I said that there was no legitimate reason for him to be playing, and then he comes out and he torches it. And so, of course, I I went on Twitter and took credit for it and put my Venmo in there if, if Orange fans want to. <laughs> what is it if people want to? It's it's at Ben-Burrows. Okay. Um, so if you guys want to hit me up on Venmo, I am probably the reason you won some of your bets last night. Yes. Syracuse covered. I think it ended at minus 12. Pay homage to the master here. Um, okay. So I would like to take my cut as your unofficial bookie. Um, but, yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that he has some of those games when other people are getting him, getting him involved. He can have these explosive games. He's probably the best shooter in the ACC. I think only Jordan Wara has a better percentage from three than Buddy does, and that's taking a little bit of credit away from Elijah Hughes. Elijah Hughes is literally right behind Buddy in – Three-pointers made, three-pointers attempted, three-point percentage. Elijah Hughes has been great this season. You're going to see from those three, putting Buddy and Joe in the conversation with Elijah, Elijah's going to play the most minutes in the ACC. Yes. He might lead the league in scoring. I think he's right there. He's second right now. It's possible. I think it's, like I said, Buddy might make a dent in that, but I think he's on pace to do that. Buddy could break Jerry McNamara's single-season three-point shot record. Joe Girard is going to break the free throw record. Yeah. So to see how much offense is there 
the top of that zone and that those two are going to be around for the next few years, Elijah, I think we're losing after this year is pretty incredible. Now, let's right. go the other way, Ben. Let's go inside. Do we have to? Yeah, we, we do. I don't know if I want to. Bad with the good, my friend. We cover it all here. Okay. Because that's the big black hole that this yeah. team can't always cover up, but sometimes can when mm-hmm. these the three we mentioned are, are shooting well and pushing defenses out. But yeah. even against Boston College, Barama Bay, average game. Quincy Garrier, average game, maybe even below average game. Yep. God bless Marat Doljai and everything he does for this team. It's it's yeah. just incredible to watch, and we take it for granted, everything yes. this guy does. But if Quincy and Barama don't start picking it up here, I think this is what's going to hold Syracuse back from being in any serious conversation about making I want to talk about this in a minute. I mean, the path for Syracuse is pretty clear in mm-hmm. terms of the teams they have to beat. But in terms of the way they're playing – and the improvement that Jim Beheim is always seeking, yeah. it's going to be from those guys. If they don't get it, I, I think that it, this is a nice little run they're on now, but it could fall apart just that easily. I'm a firm believer that, and I've said this a couple times in the office, that I think Quincy Garrier is the most important player for Syracuse moving forward. I think we know what we're going to get from Hughes, Beheim, Gerard. I think we have a good idea of what we're going to get from Dolajai. But Quincy, I don't see a path for Syracuse getting to the NCAA tournament or we're in danger of the NIT at this point, too. I don't think they get there unless Quincy is a big factor. I think he has to pick up the rebounding. I think he needs to find a way to score more. I think he needs to find a way to become more of a threat because then you get into this danger zone of where Barama is right now, where teams don't guard him. On offense, it's virtually 4v5 when he sets screens, when he sets ball screens, they blitz the ball handler. You know, they just trap the guy, and if Garrier isn't going to show that he can score effectively enough, he's going to get that treatment too. Um, And then also, it's just a depth thing. At some point, we know that Beheim's rotation is going to be Six guys, seven guys, maybe eight guys if some miracle happens. But if Quincy's the first guy off the bench, he has to be productive. Syracuse cannot win more games if he isn't productive. Beheim said that the other night. It's interesting because you go back, I think, two press conferences, uh-huh. and Beheim said he's earned more minutes. He's he's playing the way he should be at practice. We're going to put him out there more. Now he's going the other way, yeah. and you can see why. And Barama, look, Barama rebounds. And that's it. So you and I are both Team Jesse Edwards. I think Jesse Edwards deserves (laughs) some time. I understand how skinny he is. I understand how raw he is. But the fact that and Beheim just falls in these habits. Mike Waters, our colleague, asked the other night what I thought was a a fair question about Mm -hmm. just basically where he is and when does he get to the point that he can help you. And Beheim just did his typical Beheim thing and just brushed it off. I think he said, like, I'm not even going to discuss that, right? Why? If Jesse's that bad... Okay, how much better is Barama than Jesse? Because mm-hmm. that gap can't be too wide at this point. I think those two should be basically splitting time at this point. Because I feel bad for Barama because I thought once he was healthy this year, yeah. he could really show people what he can do. He's just not doing it. You brought it up. He's a liability on offense, does rebound, does make some defensive plays. You look at the box score sometimes, he'll have four or five steals. But yeah. he's not. There's there's not a Grand Canyon gap between him and Jesse Edwards. So for right. Beheim to be stubborn about that, I, I don't think we can be there right now. So I think the problem with Sidibe, too, is he just can't stop fouling people. Him and Dolajai both, they are near the top of the country in terms of like fouls per minute. 
you know, both of those guys over the course of like 40 minute games, if they played all 40 minutes, they're averaging like over six fouls a game, which leads me to believe that you need to have a legitimate five that can come in for Barama. And I think it applies specifically to Jesse Edwards and Bryson Goodine. The problem I have is I want to see those guys get more time specifically because you have Barama. He only he only rebounds and plays defense. If he's not doing those two things where we've seen stretches of, he gives you nothing on offense. If he's giving you nothing on defense like he's supposed to, then bring in bring in Jesse Edwards, who maybe he's not going to give you anything on defense. Um, he's not going to help you rebound the ball or block shots, but he has the potential to help you on offense. So if you're getting nothing from Barama, why not give the guy that can potentially give you something time? And I've said it about Buddy, and I've said it about Joe Girard, too, where if they're not shooting the ball well, they've had stretches where they've struggled to produce offense. And if they're not giving you the shooting, then I think we need to see more Howard Washington or Bryson Goodine because they're at least going to play, I think, better defense. I think Bryson Goodine is much more athletic than either of those guys. He's going to be a better defender. He can help you get up and down. Yeah, the turnovers are problematic, but they're freshmen. You have to get through that at some point. I know people probably want him to sit, but do you realistically think Bryson Goodine is going to get ACC level good by playing against walk-ons in no. practice? No. And the concern that I have is that maybe playing Buddy or Gerard or Sidibe over Jesse and Bryson Goodine and Howard helps you now, but it doesn't help you later. No, it doesn't. You're you're forfeiting the potential later to a certain extent to get marginally better now. And I'm not sure that this is the team when you're not competing for a championship. I'm not sure that this is the team that you want to sacrifice that to be marginally better. I agree. And look, Wednesday night we saw Joe Girard play 25 minutes. Howard Washington played 13 minutes. And the world didn't end. Joe had 12 points. <laughs> yeah, hit yeah. a few three-pointers. Did his thing. Right now, I think partially Joe rolled his ankle a little bit in the yes. first half. And when you've got a sizable lead, then don't push it. You don't have to play that guy 40 minutes. And I get it. When Bayheim locks in on the six. And the six are playing well, and they're the ones that are, are carrying the day. Uh-huh. I I understand that that you you roll with your veterans, you roll with your top guys. But Howard Washington has proven he can be out there. I think Jesse Edwards has proven he can be out there. Where the you know the jury's out on Quincy, but you said it. He's the first guy off the bench, and he's the only person off the bench that can do what he does and has the presence yep. that he does. So all this being said, Ben, going into so the ACC is Duke. Louisville, Virginia, Virginia Tech. Florida State. Is working its way in there. Florida State. And then it's just the Royal Rumble after yeah. that. It's just, I don't know what's going to happen. Awful. No one knows what's going to happen. It's great <laughs> some nights. It's awful other nights. It's just a jumbled mess. Mm-hmm. That being said, there is a clear path for Syracuse in terms of the teams they have to beat because... Right. They did virtually nothing in non-conference play. They lost every game of significance in non-conference play. So looking ahead here, and you wrote this this week. I kind of disagreed with you on the radio, by the way, because this stretch that's coming up Mm -hmm. that Syracuse has to be 5-0, what I said was, well, I don't disagree with Ben, but we know that's not going to happen. Like, I just... and. I just put it on tape, so if they go 5-0 and in the stretch, I'll eat my words here. But uh-huh. the, the point is, things don't go according to plan right. in this wild ACC. 
But we know the teams they have to beat. We know what the quad one teams are, what the path is, what the net rankings say. This is where, and you're a numbers guy, this is where the numbers mm-hmm. really help us here. So is this a team that can take care of business in enough games and beat enough teams that I just mentioned that are at the top of the league to be in that conversation come end of February? To be honest, I, I don't think it is. Um, I think you need to get wins. So it it hurts them long-term because they only have the one game against Duke. They only have the one game against Louisville. They only have the one game against Florida State. At the beginning of the year, we looked at that and said, that's fewer potential losses. And because, by the way, who would have thought that Carolina game on the 29th wouldn't matter? It basically doesn't <laughs> yeah, matter. I know. I know. I have that marked down as uh, I was I was going through the potential path to get to the NCAA tournament, and I didn't even think twice about Syracuse beating North Carolina. I suppose if Cole Anthony comes back, it's a little bit different. They get they get completely healthy. You don't want to rule them out. But as of right now, I think Syracuse might be a double digit favorite at home over North Carolina, Incredible which sounds insane. Yeah, um, that's where we're at this year. It's a weird year. But yeah, I, I don't know that they have the games left to get the wins you'd want to see. I suppose you can look at it and say they don't have any bad losses. You know, the non-conference was really tough because you come up empty, but none of those teams are bad. You know, Penn State, very good. Iowa, very good. Oklahoma State, very good. Georgetown, very good. So you don't have a bad loss, but and I was... So I think like if they if they can go five and zero in this stretch, there's a path. And I was I was going through it. I think they lose to NC State, they lose to Duke. Um, I'd worry about Clemson at this point. You know, the the North Carolina game I suppose doesn't matter, but they beat Duke. Uh, you have to worry about that. You've got the signature win over Virginia, though you do worry about them collapsing. And then maybe yeah, that you got to root hard for Virginia now to pick up those those you, wins to stay a quad you do, one. You do. Um, I don't. I'm really not sure that they can beat Florida State. I actually think of of the big games that they have left at Louisville. I think is possible specifically because Louisville, especially recently, I don't think has been as consistent as Florida State and Duke. If Jordan Wara isn't playing really well. We've seen games where Enoch doesn't show up, uh, Sutton doesn't show up, and the Cardinals are really reeling. By the way, that's on the road. That's Uh huge when it comes to quad one. Virginia Tech could end up being a quad one game because it's it's a road situation and how they've kind of risen up the ranks here. Yeah, I think when you consider, if we want to go home and say that the games against the top three teams in the ACC are guaranteed losses, you can make an argument that this Virginia Tech game could be the most important resume booster for them left um I, I went through it tried to find a path i think they could lose on the road at Pitt. sure they could um not that Pitt is particularly good but capel's really turned it around recently i think Pitt has a couple good they just wins. gave louisville a run this week like, um i think and, and, I, but it's like we can come up with so many scenarios yeah anyone in this and it's it's the cliche of all cliches ben but it's damn true this year anybody in this league any night could just knock somebody down and that, that's why I was, when I was going through the schedule, I tried to do like an optimistic version of it. And then I tried to do sort of a pessimistic version where you definitely lose to Clemson. You definitely lose to NC State. There's a blunder in there somewhere that I think Pitt on the road could potentially be that late blunder. Maybe lose on the road in the final game of the season to Miami. Um, 
Larinig is a great coach. I never count those teams out with him. Um, but it's tough. It's tough to find the actual path, even if you're optimistic. Um, it's really difficult because the non-conference was so bad. Absolutely so bad. And we'll end on that now. Ben Burroughs, my man, come do this again with me, okay? Absolutely. Anytime you want, Brent. Thanks for listening to the Syracuse Sports Podcast, episode 62. My name is Brent Axe. Hope you can subscribe, listen back to some of our previous episodes that we've done, get the Syracuse Football Podcast with Stephen Bailey, the Buffalo Bills Podcast with Matt Perino. Whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, find the Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit that subscribe button. Find Syracuse.com podcast, hit that subscribe button, and you'll get a new episode to listen wherever you want on your time. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time.